Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? Welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I am your host, Darren McDuffie. Tonight, we have another great episode. We'll be talking to Hannah Crum, who is affectionately known as the Kombucha Mama. But before we get into the show, just wanted to give you some quick reminders, as, as I always do, to go back and listen to show that we did last week. For those people out there who might be Weston A. Price followers, I actually interviewed Dr. Kayla T. Daniel. Very good interview about fermented cod liver oil. And uh, if you have not checked out that interview, go check out that interview. And then also um, some interviews that we did before. We did an interview with Dr. Paul Conant on fluoride. And then another really great interview that I think everyone should listen to, and we'll probably get into a little bit of that tonight, is with Dr. Janet Star Hall on the 10, uh, I think it's called, it's 10 Steps to Detoxification is the name of the show. So you might want to listen to that show. Everybody needs to do a little bit of detoxification. And um, that was a really good show with regards to learning more about detoxification. I found out some things that I didn't really know about uh, detoxification. So go back and listen to that show if you have time. I want to remind you of something. All these shows are downloadable, so you can go and listen to them at any time. I always remind people this is how I first started, how I started learning about health, along with just reading a ton of books. So I'm in iTunes. I'm also on Stitcher. And you can listen through Blog Talk Radio. Just go and look me up. Type in Fat Man Radio. All the shows should come up, and you can listen to them anytime you want to. So without further ado, I'm going to get Hannah Crum on. But before I do, let me just read her bio. Um, Hannah Crum is affectionately known as the Kombucha Mama. Since 2004, she has been brewing kombucha and educating others about how it it is it easy it is to make this delicious and healthy longevity elixir. What began as a love for, for this lip puckering brew has evolved to a passion and lifestyle. From home brew hobbyist to educator to master brewer, Kombucha Camp has grown organically as Hannah's experience has deepened. At Kombucha Camp, Hannah is committed to providing the most accurate and up-to-date information for kombucha lovers and home brewers at any stage in their experience. Hannah has taught kombucha making classes to all size groups and all over the country, spreading the message of kombucha and its bacterial benefits far and wide through a variety of venues, including festivals, health health conferences, podcasts, interviews, articles, and more. Her videos have racked up, get this, hundreds of thousands of views, and and Kombucha Camp has been featured 
on various media outlets. That computer count thing is a, a little bit of a tongue twister, but we'll get. Hannah Crum, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? Terrific, Darren. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Good. I was telling my girlfriend before I came on, it's like I can't read when I'm on the air and forget things. And I guess I created that. So, <laughs> so, but I made it through. I made it through. So I read your bio. The audience should know a little bit about you. And I'm always interested, Hannah, in knowing how people get started. How did you get started with um, this whole kombucha craziness? Well, I have to say, it, I like to call it kombucha kismet. Um, that's a word for fate or destiny. I first discovered kombucha while visiting a friend from college. He'd moved to San Francisco, and um, uh, my husband, who's my partner in my business, we both went up there to San Francisco to visit his apartment. And now, this is back in 2003, before I knew what real food was. I was still eating a standard American diet. So just kind of give you a little context of that time. So we go into this really cool <laughs> apartment, and we get this tour. And I'm going to talk about a couple of things that probably you already know about, Darren. Uh, the first thing is when we went into the bathroom, there happened to be a filter on the shower. You know, I knew mm-hmm. I needed to clean up my drinking water. But then seeing the filter on the shower, it just was like, oh, yeah, of course, You don't want all of those chemicals on your body and skin making you feel gross. And it just was like such a brilliant idea. Of course, now I have a filter on all of the water that comes into my house, including my shower. Mm -hmm. Um, We went on to the kitchen, and in the kitchen they had this stuff called Sole. Do you know what this is? It's like pink Himalayan salt crystal water. I've heard of it, but I'm very familiar with the, uh, the pink Himalayan salt, so yeah. Me too. That's the only salt I use now. But at that time, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to drink salt water? Salt water is so bad for you. Salt is so bad. Why would you drink? <laughs> why would you want to drink that? <laughs> Again, not realizing, you know, of course, iodized salt versus mineral salt, and we're a battery. We need salt. Um, and then one of the the last stops on the tour, we went into this kind of like side room. They had a, a table, and on the table is a box, and it's jars just covered with cloths, and it's got this weird stuff hanging out in it. And they go, this is the kombucha. Never heard of it, had no idea what it was. We didn't even taste it because it wasn't ready yet. But I was just really intrigued. I mean, it's such a fun word to say, kombucha, kombucha. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I returned to Los Angeles, and again, this was 2003, so they already had it in all of the Whole Foods. And, um, you know, in retrospect, it was one of those moments where I didn't even wait until I was out of the store to try the kombucha. I just had to try it immediately when I was there Mm -hmm. because I'd never had it. And it was like, the clouds parted, the light shone down, the angels were singing hallelujah, and I took my first sip, and it was just this thrilling experience of tangy and bubbly and tart. Just, uh, you know, every nerve ending in my body was electrified, and I was like, whoa, this stuff is delicious. Um, And that was how I, I first tasted kombucha and really fell in love with it. Now, you know, true confession, I was... My mom used to always yell at me for stealing the pickle juice out of the pickle jar. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't know any better. I just liked that salty flavor, and you know, maybe I wasn't getting enough salt mm-hmm. in my diet. That's why I liked it so much. But, um, you know, as soon as I had that, it was just like, yes, I love this. And very quickly, my thirst outgrew my budget, and that's when I was like, you know what? They had those really cool, mysterious jars of kombucha. I'm just going to get my own. So that's what I did. I just – I got a culture here in L.A. and started brewing and been doing it ever since. So you've been doing this for, you said, since 
it's it, 2003 is when you discovered, but when did you actually start brewing your own? Well, it was late 2003 that we went up there, so probably 2003, 2004, right around that edge between those two years is when I started uh, making it. And then, then it was at the end of 2004, I'd been taking an artist way class, if you're familiar with that at all. Um, mm-hmm. But through that class and kind of uncovering what it was I wanted to do, I, I had this realization I really wanted to teach people how to make kombucha. Mm-hmm. Now at the time, um, my husband thought I was crazy. He's like, who needs to know how to make tea? Making tea is so easy. You know, the process of making kombucha is actually quite simple. What scares us is you were unfamiliar with the culture and um, what if I do something wrong? What if I hurt myself? Right? It's all the what ifs that really yeah. prevent people feeling confident with making kombucha because really it's a very simple process but I was like well I'm going to do it Um, so I just advertised classes people would come to my house and take this class and that's where kombucha camp came from was it was this workshop in my home you would try different kombuchas and I'd show you all the how we made it and and then um, if people wanted to start their own of course I had uh, some cultures and things for people to to take with them and you know, over time, that grew into my website, which was uh, originally on Blogspot. So it's kombuchacamp.com. And it was, I primarily set up the website just so there would be quality information about kombucha. You know, if you Google kombucha and, you know, you come across the Mayo Clinic site and they warn, don't make it at home, you might hurt yourself, or you'll stumble across some other, you know, place on the web. And, um, you know, you'll end up seeing things that, might freak you out and you're like oh no should I do this or not so that was really why I started the blog was just to have quality information that wouldn't scare people and would help empower them to feel confident making this product yeah something scared me away from it a while back and I want to ask you about that a little later in the show now you mentioned a couple of things one was tea and culture what Mm -hmm. actually is kombucha and what's What's the makeup of it? Because there's some, I know that there's someone out there listening like, what the heck is this stuff? And why is everybody so crazy about it? But give us a breakdown on what kombucha actually is. Absolutely. So kombucha is very simply put cultured tea or fermented tea. So just like when we make yogurt, we're taking milk and adding a culture to it. We give it some time, whatever it needs, and it turns into yogurt. The same thing is true of kombucha. Now, our culture has an acronym. It's called a SCOBY. That stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. And that's what you're looking at. That's that blob. That's that pellicle. It's the cellulose structure that the bacteria, they throw out these nanofibers of cellulose that bind together. The yeast then live within that structure or hang from it. And so that's kind of the brown stuff you see hanging off of there. But together, the bacteria and yeast work together to ferment the tea and sugar into this naturally effervescent living beverage that um, you can then flavor in a myriad of ways. Great. Now, when I think about kombucha, I don't know why I get this vision in my head. I'm from South Carolina, so <laughs> when I <laughs> when I think about kombucha, I think about some guy out in the forest, you know, mixing up something like moonshine. But <laughs> but how does this actually? How do you actually brew this? Because when I think about brewing, I think about moonshine and and all kind of country things that that I've come to know. But um, how did you actually start this stuff? It's like uh, is it you put it in a big kettle? How does it actually come about? Yeah, so um, kombucha is, it's like being from the south, it's basically sweet tea. 
Mm. So you're, except it actually has less sugar. My understanding is sweet tea has two cups per gallon. Kombucha only has one cup per gallon. So you make a pot of sweet tea, you add in the starter culture, you give it about a week at the right temperature, and and that's really it. It's a very simple process. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, out in the woods and whatnot, fermented drinks are what people have consumed since you know, time immemorial. We didn't drink water. The water had bacteria and things in it that would, you know, give us dysentery and other types of uh, digestive issues. So we had to ferment the water in order to turn it into something we could drink. So in the past, that might be beer. It might be uh, root beer, which is a naturally fermented beverage using um, yeast from the air and several different types of healthy herbs. Ginger ale, another um, low-alcohol ferment that we have traditionally consumed um, Again, with the ginger and the and the naturally present bacteria and yeast that collect with the ginger, so um, we have a long, rich tradition of making these types of drinks and beverages. But unfortunately, we live in this anomalous bubble in time when that information wasn't passed on to us from uh, from our parents. You know, it was kind of maybe our grandparents, our great grandparents, who who set up the still and was making the moonshine in the backyard. Um, <laughs> Although again, these are these are low alcohol beverages, so they didn't have quite the same amount of alcohol as as beer and wine and those other uh, drinks do. But that that was what we did as human beings. It was, um, you know, part of our immune system is the bacteria. Yeah, um, I see some people in the switchboard. If you have a question, please hit one on your uh, keypad on your phone, and I'll know you have a question, and I will bring you on. You mentioned uh, sugar uh, in there, and I know. That everybody's a little bit um, guarded on on sugar now. We're we're learning that sugar is, is is bad for us. How much sugar is involved in the process of making the kombucha? And uh, to the second part of the question would be: Is it something a diabetic can partake in? Excellent questions. And you know, I think the fear about sugar is overblown. I mean, it's not that we shouldn't be paying attention to what's in our food supply, but demonizing sugar, I think, doesn't really tell the true story of, you know, honestly, our entire evolution. You know, your DNA is made up of a sugar phosphate backbone. Sugar is crucial to all life in this universe on this planet. So sugar is not the demon. It's, you know, how, what source, so consider the source, is that in a high fructose syrup format? Is it something that's been placed into your processed foods that you don't actually need and is serving a different purpose, which is to, um, you know, trick your brain with flavors and things like that? Is it a chemicalized derived sugar that is added to your diet soda so that it has less calories? You know, so when we look at where is this sugar coming into my diet, you want to choose sources that are more in alignment to how we've consumed sugar historically. Um, so considering the source, and then it's also its balance. And in terms of diabetics and also candida sufferers, absolutely they can drink kombucha and to great benefit. Um, there's actually some studies that have been done on rats, specifically in terms of diabetes demonstrating kombucha's ameliorative effect on the liver in helping with um, Oh, I think she dropped off. Uh, she's on Skype. So hold on one second. I think she will pop back on here, and that's the problem with uh, calling in the Skype, but we will bear with it. Um, hopefully she'll just get back on here in a minute. So, But I'll keep talking until she comes back on. Hopefully she'll be back on. Um, and like I said before we got the show started, if you have not been able to 
listen to the other shows, you probably can. I think that she's right back here. Hey, is that you, Hannah? Hey, it yeah. is. Sorry about the that. The magic of Skype. Um, Don't worry about it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, so we were talking about sugar, and I was, yes. uh, you know, basically the sugar goes through a fermentation process in kombucha. So it starts out as sucrose, which we know is table sugar. Sucrose is actually a disaccharide, meaning it's made up of two components. Those components are fructose and glucose. So when the yeast start the fermentation process, one of the first things they do is break those sugars apart into the glucose and fructose. Now, the fructose is primarily consumed by the yeast, which then creates trace amounts of ethanol as well as CO2. That leaves the glucose available for the bacteria to consume and they turn that into gluconic acid, glucuronic acid. These are the healthy acids that help support our liver function and give kombucha its protective benefits and detox benefits. Um, so really, by the time you're consuming a properly fermented kombucha, there's not that much sugar left. It's more akin to um, you know, eating something with honey in it, where it's been broken down to a very simple state, and it's easier for your body to digest, plus it has a lower glycemic load than if you were consuming the equivalent in a cup of tea or something like that. Yeah. So let's say um, I'm a bonehead, and you, you have some people out here who just want to try things just for the heck of, of trying things. And I say, hey, you know what, I want to start this brewing process using stevia or a Yacon syrup, something that does not raise the my blood sugar levels or has reportedly uh, out there that it doesn't raise blood sugar levels. Is that the most recommended thing to do, or should I just start with sugar itself? Yeah, so stevia is something that does not ferment. If you try to make kombucha with stevia, you'll likely end up with mold because there won't be any food for the yeast and the bacteria. Now, something like a yacon syrup or an agave or something like that, you certainly could use. But again, remember that sugar, as we just talked about it, is sucrose, which has both fructose and glucose. And we also talked about how uh, the yeast and bacteria each use those separate sugar components um, for creating their, their beneficial aspects. So um, if we go to something like an agave, which is all fructose, while that will certainly feed the yeast, it won't have the glucose there to help create the gluconic and the glucuronic acid, which is one of the, the benefits of drinking kombucha is the presence of those healthy acids. So, um, you know, I know it's tempting for people to want to try to make kombucha with different types of sugar sources, and certainly you can with an extra culture as an experimental batch. But most people will find the easiest, most successful way to make kombucha is just to use straight sugar. Yeah, and whenever I think of fermentation, I always think about uh, sauerkraut, uh, kimchi, things of that nature, that things are really good for the gut. Um, and I'm going to throw it out there that I know kombucha is good for the gut, but how does it actually help us with, um, and I'm going to use a scientific term for the audience out there, for something like dysbiosis? How does it actually bring that the gut back in line? Well, um, as we're discovering through all of the research being done with, like, the Human Microbiome Project and all of the research that's, you know, that's spun off of, uh, spun off of that project, you know, we really live in a bacteria universe. 
not only is our immune system ruled by bacteria, but plants and how they uptake nutrition is as a result of bacteria. The smell of rain comes from bacteria. Bacteria live not only inside every surface of your body, but on the outside as well. Moreover, bacteria are incredibly fluid and they're able to do gene transfer, which is part of how we're able to continue to evolve um, if we look at epigenetics and things like that. So when you realize the huge importance, the huge important role that bacteria play in our life, you start to recognize why it is when we consume these naturally fermented foods like the krauts, the kimchi, the kombuchas, why we instantly get a kind of connection with it. It's because we are bacteria powered. And when we overconsume processed foods or we're um, exposed to antibiotics in the meat that we're eating or in the water supply or, you know, in any of the many places where we end up being exposed to chemicals that kill bacteria, they not only kill, quote, unquote, negative bacteria or bad bacteria, they also kill the good bacteria. So if you're constantly applying that hand sanitizer, you're unwittingly, um, you know, destroying your immune system at the same time. And really, it's just um, we've lived in an age of pasteurization where we thought, oh, well, you know, if the germ is bad, we have to destroy it and then we'll be good. What we're really starting to understand, and I don't know if you've read um, Missing Microbes by Dr. Blazer, but this is one of the things he talks about is H. pylori, which for so long, once it was discovered, was blamed for ulcers and things like that. Well, as people got rid of all of the H. pylori in their bodies, they realized, oh, now my incidence of esophageal cancer is rising because, in fact, most organisms aren't good or bad unless they're in different types of quantities. So H. pylori is something we've traditionally thought of as pathogenic, same with Candida albicans. It actually has a role and function in our body, but when it's in balance. And that's what that dysbiosis is speaking to. It's speaking to the fact that your bacterial force field is out of balance and the quote-unquote bad guys are running the show. And when that happens, like with Candida overgrowth, they're going to tell you what to eat. They're going to tell you what's going into your body. And unfortunately, while you crave those and think that's what you want, the result the reaction that it causes in your body, the pain, the suffering that you end up going through as a result of that, you know, listening to that craving, it, you know, has a negative effect on your whole body. So putting healthy bacteria back into your body and any type, so kombucha, yogurt, anything, just getting some healthy bacteria in your body is a crucial first step to rebalancing the gut and, you know, giving yourself that immune system um, that you have naturally. Yeah. So I've, I've had my battles with candida. I think everybody has it <laughs> because we mm -hmm. so overly consume uh, sugar. But I've had my battles with that, um, with candida, I'm, I'm sorry, with um, kombucha being something that has sugar in it. Does that actually feed the candida at some point? Great question. And, you know, we get this one quite a lot. And there's a lot of conflicting information. Some people out there say, don't drink kombucha. It'll make your candida worse. You're putting more yeast in your body. Um, what we know from the research is that kombucha does create elements that are candida sides. So caprylic acid, which is also in coconut water, um, something that a lot of people will consume is coconut water. It's also present in kombucha. Phenethyl ethanol also helps um, defeat candida, also present in kombucha. Now, the problem is if you're purchasing a commercial brand and they're trying to bridge 
the gap between the soda consumer and the, you know, hardcore kombucha lover, they may end up with a product that has a little bit more sugar than you might be making at home. As a result, that, you know, unintended amounts of sugar could potentially trigger a candida sensitive reaction. Now, the other thing that we also see and this is why it's probably good if you're if you're drinking kombucha specifically for candida, either let it ferment a little bit longer after you buy it, just let it sit out on the counter for a day or two, uh, get a little more tangy in the bottle. Your tongue is going to tell you when it has that right balance. Um, or if you're making it at home, same thing, let it go a little bit longer so you don't taste the sugar in it. And then it will it will also cause potentially a die-off reaction. So a lot of people, if they're not clear on what where the cause is coming from, will attribute, oh, well, the kombucha is causing my candida to get worse. In fact, what it's doing is it's in there beating those guys up. And those guys are saying, I don't want to leave. I like it here. I want to live here and, and, you know, eat a lot of sugar. Um, and so there's a kind of, you know, battle that, that they're going through, duking it out, um, so to speak, until then – uh, the yeast in kombucha will dominate the candida yeast, put it back in its place, can take anywhere from a week to two weeks. You know, every body is different, but um, there is a post on the blog. If you go to kombuchacamp.com and just type in either Len Porzio or candida, you'll find an interview with him. He's the guy who coined the term SCOBY, but that's what he realized after the fact is he had candida overgrowth, and it took about two weeks of him drinking kombucha on a regular basis for that to finally um be free of that. Yeah. Is there anything out there that tells you how um, long it might take if you have uh, gut dysbiosis or imbalance of the flora in your gut, for those out there who don't want to be scientific, how long it might take to bring bring it back in line uh, drinking kombucha versus maybe using something of a probiotic? And is there a drawback to using a probiotic versus using a fermented beverage like uh, kombucha? So I'll speak to that point first. Well, yeah, um, here's the the short answer is, of course, getting your probiotics from fermented foods in a living form that humans have intended to consume are going to be doses and they're going to be organisms that your body can use instantaneously. Now, probiotic supplements, certainly there can be some benefit to them, but part of the problem is how do you know how much survives once it gets in there? And then secondarily, now what we're seeing is people have too much acidophilus in their gut. So now they're going the other direction where they're in dysbiosis, but with too much of a good, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. It's really all about balance. And so when you consume your your probiotics in the form of fermented foods or fermented drinks, your body can give you that feedback and say, okay, I've had enough kombucha today, or that was enough sauerkraut for, for my palate. And you're getting it in forms and in doses that we evolved to recognize and utilize instantly. And they yeah, cost and- a lot less, and they taste delicious. Yeah, actually, I mean, I, I prefer uh- – the anything fermented sauerkraut, anything like that, versus doing the the probiotics. Um, with kombucha, I know some people do not like the taste of kombucha, and therefore they kind of gravitate toward um, a kefir or kefir. I don't know how you even pronounce that. But what's the kefir, difference kefir, between those? Kefir. Yeah, what's what's the the difference between those two? Does does kefir start with T or how does that start? What's the what's the actual difference? Uh, great question. So kombucha is an acetic acid ferment like vinegar, and this is why it ends up so tangy. Um, where most vinegars are diluted to a 4 to 8% acetic acid solution, you know, your raw apple cider vinegars, your balsamics, 
distilled vinegar, et cetera, kombucha comes in around 1%. So it's a lot easier to consume kombucha than it is vinegar. It's like an easy drinking vinegar, so to speak. Now, a lot of people have negative connotations with vinegar, so we don't tend to use that as a descriptor for it. But in terms of even understanding the benefits of kombucha, think about the benefits of tea. Think about the known benefits of vinegar. Combine those two together. You can see why we have such a tremendous powerhouse with kombucha. Now, in terms of the kefirs, kefir, 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 however you want to call it, um, these are different organisms. They are dominant. Uh, they're primarily lactobacillus based, and they just they have a different um, they have a different life cycle. They're very delicate organisms. They require frequent attention. Whereas the kombucha, we can kind of um, ignore, leave it alone. As long as it doesn't dry out on us, we can probably revive it at a future date, and it's going to be all good. Uh, with the kefir grains, if we leave them alone too long, they're just going to peter out. And that's because they were intended to be consumed on a regular basis, a daily basis, in small in small doses. Now, when people can't tolerate the flavor of a properly fermented kombucha, oftentimes that's a sign, like you were indicating, that they're in dysbiosis. You know, your tongue is your most sensitive instrument. And one of the ways that I like to check and make sure my pH is in balance is I do a lemon test. So I'll be working with lemons, you know, making lemon kombucha or whatnot, and I'll just lick the lemon. And if I don't make uh, you know, a sour face, then I'm like, okay, great. I'm I'm in balance. I can tolerate that sourness and it isn't making me turn into a sourpuss. So that's a quick and easy way you can kind of test yourself and see, uh, you know, am I in balance or not? If that tastes really terrible to you, that's a sign maybe you should start incorporating a little bit more sour into your diet. You can mm-hmm. still sweeten it up a little bit with some sugar, but make sure you're getting that sour in there so that you start coming back to the other side. Because sour and bitter, those are truly the flavors and the taste that that health that all of the healthy elements have, herbs and things like that. We don't eat massive quantities of thyme or oregano because it's too pungent, it's too intense. But that little bit of bitterness, that little bit of flavor is what we add to our food and we get the benefits of that product in those quantities. And so having a palate that's uh, more attenuated will also help you understand when am I full? When have I received the nutrition my body's looking for? You know, we like to think we eat for entertainment or um, because we're supposed to have three meals a day or five meals a day or who knows how many we're supposed to have a day. But when we really listen to our bodies and eat in harmony with our bodies, we find we we don't need as much. We just need quality um, food stuff. So when we have quality, then we don't need quantity. Yeah, and... I'm going to let loose one of my secrets right now is that I'm probably the only person in the world who loves vinegar. I loved vinegar as a child. And you know, sometimes I'll cut a lemon and put salt on it and just sit there and lick the lemon. I still Suck love it. Suck on it, right? It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still <laughs> love it. I don't tequila. Know. <laughs> yeah. I um, came across kombucha. I used to do a lot of studying, a lot of reading on uh, cancer just because my mom passed away from that. But that's the way I came um, across kombucha and learning more about it, is that um, someone had mentioned it or I'd read somewhere that it actually helps cancer patients out. What other benefits um, does uh, kombucha have besides maybe well, helping patients? Speaking to that one in specific, in Germany there was a Dr. Um, Sklenar, S K L. 
NER, something like that, as well as uh, Veronica Karstens, who was the first lady of Germany. She then was also a naturopath. Um, both of them used kombucha with their practice specifically to help people with cancer. So there is a history of use in the world um, for that specifically. Other things that are cited, lowering cholesterol, um, evening out blood pressure, digestive issues of all kinds, um, healing from candida, from other gut dysbiosis. And, you know, it sounds like a long laundry list and like kombucha is this magic bullet, but really what it is is when we look at the root cause of disease, it's diet and stress. And what kombucha does is instead of going to the symptoms, it works on the root cause. And because it helps to balance the system, it's been likened to an adaptogen. So those of you out there might know ginseng, ginger, things like that. These are herbs that... Um, that benefit the entire system. They aren't specifically for the eyes or for the this or for the that, but they help the whole body balance itself. And kombucha is one of those things that does that. What about gray hair? I came across something when I was uh, doing some research for the show, and it had something about gray hair. Because if you can tell me this stuff is good for gray hair, I will drink it religiously. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, why is turn... hair turning gray? I have. I, I'm older. I just turned 45, but no, I, I had gray hair ever since hair. I was. I was in uh, in my 30s. I knew I was going to get gray hair early, but um, uh -huh. 45 now, and it's like every day I notice more and more gray. But I came across an article, and it's saying that kombucha is good for gray hair. Please, please tell me that it's is good for gray hair. Well, it, the reason it is is because, again, it's going to that root cause. You know, part of why our hair, our skin, why our cells start to die off is because they don't have the inputs they need. And when you feed on a uh, toxic, you know, a toxic diet for many years, while the body can overcome that toxicity to a certain point, it's when you hit that tipping point that you see you've got the, you know, the fibromyalgia or you've got the, the chronic fatigue syndrome. You've got, like, all of the autoimmune diseases that nobody understands where they come from. Well, they come from a system that's been overtaxed. And gray hair and, and skin and wrinkles and things like that is the same type of thing. It's overtaxed. It doesn't have the nutritional inputs it needs. So when, you know, part of what kombucha does and why it's so great is those healthy acids I mentioned support healthy liver function. Well, your liver is your filter. So all of the caffeine, all of the pharmaceutical drugs, all of the toxicants, you know, that we absorb through our skin, through beauty products, through the air, through the water, everything goes through the liver. The liver catches all that yucky stuff like a filter before it passes on, you know, what's left into the bloodstream. Well, if the liver doesn't have anything to come and help support it, then over time it's not going to do as effective of a job as, at cleaning out your system. And so because kombucha specifically has acids, the gluconic and glucuronic acid, both of which are made by our bodies, but we don't make them in quantities sufficient enough to keep up with the amount of toxicity we're dealing with. And that's part of why I think kombucha is becoming so popular right now is people need it. And because you get that real palpable um, experience from drinking it, even people who give you that, you know, sour kombucha face, they often can't mm -hmm. help but walk back around and either grab another sample or tell you it wasn't as bad as they thought or <laughs> whatever that is. It does have mm -hmm. that kind of immediate type of feeling that you get from it. That's why I think people are choosing it again and again because they're appreciating that support. They're appreciating that nutrition in a living form. And they're able to say, you know what, I feel much better from drinking this. Yeah. Now, you got some people out there also who um, you mentioned it being an acidic, acidic drink. And I used to always believe in the acid-alkaline balance thing until I just did some research and find out it was, like, totally farce. But 
Um, for those people out there who might say, oh, it's too acidic for my body. I don't want an acidic body. Explain explain that. Is it going to make my body too acidic if I drink a lot of kombucha versus the alkaline, or, or how does that work? Great question. And, you know, here's the thing, Darren. Um we're too smart for our own goods. And what I mean by that yeah. is your body already has all the information it needs for what you need to eat, in what quantities, when, etc. The problem is we have advertising, propaganda, and, and people who just want to make money off of selling you products. What that results in is messages being sent to you, oh, count your calories, oh, do this. You know, all these rules we're supposed to put around eating our foods and have five meals this, this many times a day or only have three meals. It gets very confusing, and it makes sense why people just get exhausted. But, you know, you see healthy on the label – but when you look at the ingredients, you realize, what does that actually mean? And so what's happened is we've become disconnected from listening to our bodies and the almost immediate feedback we get when we put foods in our mouth. So what you have is people sitting there at the dinner table shoveling in food that's making them sick, talking about how terrible they feel, not realizing that the reason they feel that way is because of what they're putting in their mouth and in their body. So... What kombucha does and what, you know, all the fermented foods do is it instantly connects you back to that biofeedback. So when you drink kombucha and you get that little bit of buzz from the natural B vitamins present in the yeast, that's instant feedback giving your body a positive reaction saying, hey, this is good for me. I like it. You know, some people early on will crave kombucha and they'll want to drink a lot of it and they feel guilty. They're like, oh, I'm addicted. Oh, there's something about this I shouldn't be having. The fact is their body probably recognizes it's missing something. It needs something from it. And over time, as people consume it, their habits will balance out and they won't consume it as often and they won't need it as much. You know, for instance, people ask, how much kombucha should I drink? And I say, well, how much broccoli should you eat? At a certain point, your body's like, all right, I had enough of that broccoli. I don't need any more of that. (laughs) The same is true with all of the fermented foods. You know, when I'm having sauerkraut, it's not like a huge one-cup scoop. It's like a little bit on the side. When I put a little bit of yogurt, you know, on my potatoes or whatever, you know, that's a little dollop on the side. So, again, it's listening to your body. And, for instance, if I eat something that has, like, soybean oil or an oil that I know is not good for me, I'll immediately have a reaction in my throat. You know, and if it isn't immediate, it's at least a minute or two later, but it's very close to when I consume that food product. So my body, now that I've started to tune in and listen to it, will very quickly tell me which foods I can tolerate and which I shouldn't, which which ones I should avoid. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, me and, and me and black pepper do not like each other. I can immediately <laughs> tell when I have, when I have pep consumed something with um, pepper in it. And I, it used to not be that way, but now I can immediately tell. Um, last call for questions. I see some people on the switchboard. If you do have a question, just hit one on your keypad, and I'll see you and bring you on. This is the last call. So going once, going twice, if you have a question. Um, Hannah, getting back to um, the questions here, with one of the things that scared me away from the kombucha was uh, I came across something, and again, like you said, we're too smart for our own good, but I came across something that's saying about the fluoride content, the fluoride content in the tea. Should I be concerned about that when I'm, I'm making my kombucha? You know, there's fluoride, just like everything, bacteria, yeast, fluoride, these things manifest in multiple forms in the chemical world. 
So the fluoride that we're putting into our water supply, um, which is a long word that I am not remembering off the top of my head, some hexafluorosilicate or something like that, um, is, is very different from the type of fluoride that occurs naturally in tea. Um, moreover, you would have to be consuming gallons and gallons and gallons of tea on a daily basis just to create a, a negative effect from the fluoride present in it. So, um, you know, that's that's one of the things that, that people will point out is, you know, well, I'm worried about the caffeine or I'm worried about the this from the tea. The truth is you're not even using the same amount as you would if you were having a cup of tea, right? So a cup of tea is one tea bag and six to eight ounces of water. With kombucha, it's three to five tea bags and an entire gallon of water. So we're not even over-consuming tea in that regard. And... Um, and so that's that's kind of one of the ways we we look at it um, is that it's considering that source and, and how is that coming to again it's in that natural form not that chemicalized form that can have a negative effect in the body. Yeah. Now also with the alcohol content, so I could be concerned about this because you you see little kids walking to Starbucks ordering frappuccinos, but but let's say I have a child and my child just takes an interest in wanting to drink kombucha, uh, or I'm a, an adult out there who might have had some type of an addiction that I can't have alcohol. Should I be concerned about the alcohol content in kombucha? Let me just say this. We still are in a post-prohibition hangover about alcohol in this country. And what I mean by that is during that period of time, it was very much blamed and demonized for lots of horrible things. And I'm not defending, you know, people who get drunk and behave inappropriately. That's, you know, there's mm -hmm. never an excuse for that. But alcohol, we evolved with alcohol. We evolved with yeast. We have always consumed fermented beverages that contain trace amounts of alcohol that serve as a nutrient, that serve as a preservative, not in order to intoxify. So I mentioned earlier root beer, ginger ale. All of these had trace amounts of alcohol were given to children with no ill effects. There's even um, a, uh, a like wine that children were given at parties and uh, things like this. So on certain occasions, children were also invited to participate with the act of drinking alcohol, and it wasn't taboo in the way that it is today. And we've kind of lost perspective on alcohol as a nutrient. And um, I've got a lot of different theories about, about this, too. One of them c connected to pasteurization. And it's mm -hmm. this, you know, how did we know that fermentation was occurring? Well, we saw the bubbles. We saw the bubbles from the yeast because the yeast represent B vitamins in a living form. Uh, you know, some of the lab tests that are looking at kombucha are showing B12 in amounts higher than what the RDA recommends. And as we all know, B12 is one of those tricky B vitamins. It's hard to get into your diet if you're not consuming it from animal sources. So, um, you know, so yeast is what we're actually seeking when we're looking for that effervescence, when we're looking for that fermented beverage. Now, if we pasteurize all the beer and the wine, we instinctually crave what they have to offer, but we don't end up receiving the nutrition our DNA is expecting it's going to get. And so my, my thought is if we were to consume unfiltered beer or biodynamic wines that aren't pasteurized, we might drink less because our bodies would receive that which it is looking for, which is that mild amount of stress relief, the relaxation that occurs, the nutrition that is passed, um, you know, through the alcohol, you know, the grapes. It's, 
it's um, it gets into the body much easier through the alcohol, which is also why alcohol has traditionally been what our medicines were carried through, right? Our tinctures and cough syrups. And, you know, even when you look at things like gin, which comes from a juniper bush, it had all these herbals and botanicals that were included. These served a medicinal function. Mm-hmm. Again, it's our, our overuse or our abuse or consuming too much of a good thing that has led to um, kind of the negative uh, effects that we read about that. In fact, there was um, an interesting article I read the other day about how there was a huge cholera outbreak in um, in the U.K. back in like maybe the 1860s or something like that, or maybe even 1680s. Um, but those who consumed alcohol were not affected by by the cholera because it served that antibacterial benefit for them. So, again, it's um, considering the source of your information. It's considering the source of what you're putting in your body. It's considering why are you craving it and why are you wanting this um, in your in your body. And if we get back to it, more often than not, it's because there's some bacteria in there that our bodies really want to get a hold of. Yeah, people are really scared of bacteria and don't really don't realize that we kind of actually need that bacteria. Um, I interviewed someone on the show about uh, juicing not too long ago, and I remember in, in the juicing episode, uh, she said to consume the juice within 28 to 48 hours or all the benefits kind of die off. Is there mm. an expiration date on kombucha, can, or can I leave it in my refrigerator for a year and, and come back and drink it? Yes. You can. Um, so it part of what happens with juice is the enzymes die very quickly because they're not preserved um, over time. With kombucha, the alcohol acts as a preservative, and so it does have a natural amount of preservation. Um, actually, what will happen with the juice if you leave it is it will turn into alcohol because that alcohol will protect it from other organisms from colonizing it. In fact, that's what the colonists used to do. They would have apple cider on Monday, and by the end of the week, they had hard cider. So um, that's, again, part of our, our, our tradition um, in terms of fermented foods and drinks. But kombucha, the bacteria um, remain in there. They also ebb and flow in terms of the acids that are created, and those acids remain stable in the kombucha for extended periods of time. Now, I wish we had, you know, real research demonstrating that. Um, We don't, but just like, you know, wine is aged for many years, but it goes into the bottle as grape juice, right? It goes in super sweet, and it's the act of the fermentation in that closed environment over many years that leads to those delicious flavors. And, um, Kombucha is maybe not exactly like wine in that regard. There certainly is a point where it becomes more vinegar than delicious. And so you always want to try to capture it before it's um, gone too far into the vinegar phase so you can still enjoy all of the, the other tastier elements of it as well. Have you have you had the fermented grape juice? I've had it before. It is freaking delicious. <laughs> I've, I've had it. The real fermented it really grape juice. Yeah, it's it's really good. I don't know if anybody out there listening has ever had it, but if you get a chance to get the real fermented grape juice, please please do it. Taste totally See, the different. The real stuff is always better, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I wish I could get it. The guy that I used to get it from, um, he no longer has a store here, but I mean, it was it was great. Costs a little bit more, but it's it's better for you. Um, speaking of cost, um, you go in the Whole Foods, you grab a bottle of this stuff. I remember paying. Upwards of like a little over five bucks. Why is it so expensive? Well, it's a process. So, you know, with soda, it can be really inexpensive because you've got a flavored syrup. You mix it with a carbonated water. Bam, boom. How long does that take? Move it on down the line. you got cases and cases and cases of this stuff, no time flat. 
Kombucha requires time. It is something that is a craft beverage, so similar to craft beer, similar to wine. How many Merlots can we see on the shelf? And yet they're all different. The same is true of kombucha. Every brand has its own brewing process. Their culture might even be different from other people's cultures, how they flavor it. Every step along the way, the where the ingredients are sourced, all of that is going to play a role in the flavor of the kombucha. So really what you're looking at is um, different you know, as if you were evaluating wines or, or craft beers, as you're looking at, you know, well, what is what this one tastes like and what is this one from over here tastes like? So you really have this opportunity to kind of explore the variety of kombucha flavors when you start trying different brands. So one of the things I love to do whenever I travel, obviously I don't have my, my Hannah's homebrew with me, so I go to the store and I load up on whatever local stuff I can find. If I can't, then I buy the national brands, but I'm I'm grateful for the fact that I can go almost anywhere in this country and find kombucha. Maybe not in the convenience store, but uh, if I can find a co-op or a health food store, I know I'm going to be good. And I think we're going to see uh, kombucha tourism. Some companies have already opened up tap rooms, um, Hum up in Oregon, there's Unity Vibration who also makes a kombucha beer where they actually ferment the kombucha cultures with different types of yeast that yield higher alcohol quantities along with hops and and all those kinds of things. Um, You know, all over the country, we're seeing different breweries pop up um, offering different types of kombucha beverages. And, you know, as people kind of catch on to this whole trend, I think we're going to see a lot of really fun, creative things come out of it. We already have, you know, um, for instance, there's a company that, that makes coffee kombucha. So instead of fermenting tea, they're fermenting coffee. Some are doing where they're fermenting tisans like hibiscus, and there's no tea present at all. So we're kind of tip of the iceberg with kombucha in terms of all of the really neat creative things and beverages it can create. Moreover, I think with kombucha leading the way, And I don't know if you know this, Darren, but I'm also president of Kombucha Brewers International, which is the trade association supporting the kombucha industry. Um, We've been in the process of establishing a new testing protocol for the ethanol in kombucha. First of all, it's in incredibly low quantities, and the methods that are in use today uh, don't take those low quantities into account. Moreover, they are specifically for beer and wine, which have higher amounts of alcohol present and also don't have that effect of the bacteria consuming the ethanol, turning it into the healthy acid. So um, we've partnered with AOAC, which is American Organization of Analytical Chemists, to create a new international testing standard, which we hope not only will work for kombucha, but maybe for your water kefirs, for your ginger beers, for all your other fermented drinks that are also going to be making their way into the market space. So we're really excited that kombucha is blazing this trail for for this fermented foods movement because really what we're doing is coming back, we're reuniting with our old friends, with our bacteria buddies, because we are bacterio sapiens. Yeah. what a question for you um, with regards to you set this one up, so I'm going to go ahead and knock it down. You said something about flavor. I've always wondered when looking at all of these different drinks in a Whole Foods or um, some kind of co-op or somewhere else, how do you get these different flavors? Well, there's a lot of different ways that people will flavor their kombucha. Some of the more traditional ways is putting actual pieces of fruit or herbs or flowers. That's the way I like to flavor my kombucha. So I'll look around my yard, my garden. I'll grab some fresh thyme. I'll grab, you know, strawberries at the farmer's market. Um, Then I cut it into small pieces because the smaller the surface area, the more of the flavor will get into the brew. 
Other people prefer to use juice, which is a much more concentrated form. You don't need as much. Sometimes you'll use spices like chai or or, or other um, you know peppercorns, things like that. Another way that people will flavor it is essential oils, or they'll flavor the tea, or um, you know. So everyone has kind of different techniques for making their kombucha all these different flavors. But again, when you're picking one at the store, it's trusting your gut. It's what's resonating with you. What gives you that kind of exciting feeling from drinking it? That's really the way to go. And I'll tell you what, Darren, we've got over 300 suggestions uh, or almost 300 flavoring recipes and suggestions in our book that's coming out in March, the big book of kombucha. So all of your kombucha questions will be answered in our 400-page <laughs> book that not only has, you know, of course, all the how-tos of uh, batch brewing and continuous brew, which is our favorite way to make kombucha. It also has cocktail recipes, uh, nothing like a little antidote with your poison to uh, to give you a, a healthy buzz and yet not pay the price the next day. There's also food recipes. And then we also have a whole section of research and and symptom-specific information that's tied, you know, everything that we list is tied to a research paper um, that cites these benefits. So we're very much trying to dispel the mythology that there's no research on kombucha. It's true that there's not a lot coming out of the United States, but other countries all around the world have been studying it. You know, it's been studied for over 150 years. So there's plenty of research, and there's plenty of human research because people have been drinking it for at least that long, if not longer, and passing right. it around and, you know, maintaining it and making sure it stays alive. So clearly there's a human kombucha connection that is uh, is continuing to be held in place. Yeah. Last question for you, Hannah. Um, is there, should I be concerned about the caffeine content because it's being actually being brewed from tea for those people out there who might be caffeine sensitive? And as I mentioned before, the amount of tea that we're using is in fact less than if you were having a cup of tea. So in terms of the caffeine content, that means it's already reduced right there. Secondarily, some of the caffeine, that caffeine isn't just like it stimulates our nervous system, it stimulates the yeast, and it starts that fermentation process going. And that's why some folks, if they brew with decaffeinated teas, might have a hard time getting the fermentation process going because it does help spur that forward. Oftentimes when people say they drink kombucha and they feel energized, it's really coming from the B vitamins from the yeast as well as from improved digestion. I mean, think about it. If you consume something that helps your body to very quickly break down the food, instead of all that blood draining out of your head and making you sleepy, now you've got energy that you can then go out and do other things in the world. So um, now there are some folks who are incredibly caffeine sensitive, and they will be able to tell um, just by drinking a commercial brand because all commercial brands, you know, with a few exceptions here or there, are made with caffeinated tea. So if you're drinking a brand from the store and you're not having any adverse effects, and many people report they can drink it right before bed and have no trouble falling asleep, then I wouldn't worry about the caffeine and the tea. Yeah, great. I think I'm, you've convinced me to go back and get get back on kombucha now. <laughs> but um, Absolutely. All you, and when you're ready to make it yourself, Darren, just let me know. We'll, we'll get you all set up. Yeah, I was going to ask you that as far as you can go to kombuchacamp.com and you give all the recommendations there or do they subscribe to a YouTube channel? How do they get this information to begin starting their own brewing of uh, kombucha? 
If you're completely new to kombucha and would like additional information, go to kombuchacamp.com backslash kombucha recipe, and I'll, I'll share that link with you, Darren, to put in the show notes, and sign up for our free ebook. You'll immediately receive a PDF that you can download. It's the full recipe on how to make it yourself, um, including flavoring and things like that. You'll then receive an email a day for about five days, just giving you more background information, You know, sending you links to the blog so you can explore further what this stuff is all about. Our philosophy is always trust your gut and that means we want it to resonate with you um, so that you feel inspired when you purchase it so first we have quality information we follow that up with quality supplies so you know that you've got a great hearty culture that's going to reproduce for you right off the batch. And then we have quality support because once you get this in hand, you might have felt all confident ordering it online, but now that it's here, ah, what do I do? Um, we are right there. We answer every email that comes in, and I answer all the phone calls. So if you're wanting to place an order, if you have questions about our products, when you dial that number, you're coming right to me and my cell phone because, um, honestly, I'm the best person who can help help you figure out what's going to work for you so um we're you know we're a small family business and we take a lot of pride in our personal touches and and the support that we offer people so um you know even if you're not our customer we're going to answer your question because we want you to feel empowered with that knowledge with that information and confident to ferment foods at home yeah and that's kombucha camp that's kombucha with a k and camp with a k kombucha camp that's right cute and clever like that do you get all the k's in there too <laughs> Yeah, that's for cool because I know well, it's from we also have the we also have the kefir and the jun too. So if you're into the water kefir or the milk kefir, we have living cultures there. They um, get you started right away. And then we have jun, which is similar to kombucha, but it's made with raw honey. For those who are sticklers and really want to stay away from sugar, if you've got a great source of raw honey, um, jun is a really lovely ferment that that people are really getting excited about. Never heard of that. I might have to try that one, but. Uh, Hannah Crum, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. I really enjoyed this, and I learned a lot about kombucha, and I'm swayed back into getting back into kombucha by just listening to what you were saying. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Darren. So appreciate you giving me the time and place to talk about my passion and uh, share kombucha with, with your audience as well. All right. Thank you, and you have a great night. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right, great show, great show. I love when people come on and they're passionate about the subject, and you can tell that really came across when uh, Hannah was speaking. And again, to get in contact with or get on the website, rather, that's kombucha with a K and camp with a K, so kombuchacamp.com, and you can go on there and start um, learning how to brew your own kombucha. And for those out there who say, yeah, I may not need this, uh, this is not for me, just remember that a lot of us have gut problems, and they usually call the gut the second brain. So you have these people out here who are having these gut issues or intestinal permeability issues, and they need this stuff. And this is just a simple thing. You can brew some uh, fermented tea and actually fix that dysbiosis in the gut, and you're good. So good show tonight. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. Next week, we'll be on, on Tuesday, just simply because I had a little scheduling conflict with the person who's going to be on. And we'll be talking to Dr. Michael Warfield. We'll actually be talking about supplements and what's in our supplements. I remember a long time ago, we uh, were in a documentary called Bigger, Stronger, Faster, and I was just fascinated by the lack of um, 
administration regarding dietary supplements. This gentleman on the show on the documentary just hired some people off the street, made some really nice looking labels and printed printed them up, put them on some canisters and started selling his own supplements. So next week we'll be talking a little bit about supplements and what you might want to watch out for when you're choosing supplements out there in the marketplace. I know a lot of people run into Walmart, they go to these different places and they buy these supplements and realize that half of them are not even working, or they end up getting sick from some of the supplements that they are consuming. So we'll talk a little bit next week about what's in my supplements with Dr. Warfield. Warfield, yep. And that will be on Tuesday instead of Wednesday. And as always, I always put up a Facebook event, but if you're out there listening, um, the show again will be on Tuesday. Same fat time, same fat channel. See you then. Thanks for listening. Peace and love and good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.